Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, UpWest, and Hippo Insurance. Welcome, everyone, to episode 91, and this is a very special one because this is my own professor, Julie Zelensky, a computer science lecturer at Stanford University. Julie grew up in a town with a population of 262 and came to Stanford for her undergraduate degree. Upon graduating, she joined Steve Jobs at Next in 1989 and continued with Apple on the macOS X team. She later fell in love with teaching and became a full-time Stanford lecturer, providing inspiration to thousands of students. Julie also served on the Computer Science Advancement Placement Development Committee, writing and grading an exam for 20,000 students for AP Computer Science. I was one of those students. Julie Zielinski, thank you so much for being on my show. How are you? Good, thank you. It seems just like a few months ago we were back in the lab working on our, uh, working in CS1078. <laughs> Don't remind me. Those are the good old days. <laughs> that, uh, those were the, that was how, a great quarter. How was it online this past quarter? Well, you know, it. it uh, I, I think for CS professors, it was maybe, you know, we had one of the easier jobs because we already do a lot of our delivery, right, remote, right? We do a lot of students watching via video and, and time shifted and stuff. So, and so much of our expertise is in building tools and online sort of circumstances, it turns out. So we were able to adapt, right? We had an office hour queue, let's say that we ran off of the web. Your average Latin professor, I bet did not find it as, as easy a transition right. to move from their traditional in-classroom sort of way of doing stuff to, to this, right. or like the sciences, right? Where you have you know, all kinds of physical uh, sure. attitudes. So I think we did a pretty good job in terms of transition. Our class was twice as big as we wow. expected to be, right? Which I, I think indicated the students also kind of voting with their feet in terms of, you know, where where can I make progress, you know, and, and work on my degree in this right. time when, of, of turmoil. And so I, I, we had a lot of people showing up in CS, I think, as it it felt like a safe place to make some good progress, right? Um, I'm I'm very curious to see what the trends are going to look like now that that you that it's transitioning online and and how people yeah. what people's choices are going to make and you know yeah. but but nothing will ever be able to replace you know the the incredible mentorship that 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 you and Pat provided at least my yeah. me and my cohort you know coming into the breadboard and physically showing us how the yeah. wires, I don't think we'll ever be able to replace that no matter how great, you know, we'll, we'll make virtual be. But, but Julie, I want to I want to go back about your journey. You know, one of the most okay. popular computer science professors within Stanford, a, a renowned teacher, you love teaching. And at the same time, you love code, you know, back at Next and then Apple, experience with Steve Jobs. And I want to capture everything in this talk, and it's going to be impossible, but we're going to start. <laughs> Julie, okay. who, who are you? Take me through your journey. How do you come to be one of the, one of the top you know, teachers and lecturers at Stanford after an incredible career? It's, it's all, uh, it's a master plan. I've known since day one. No, I'm sure. I, I, I came to Stanford myself as an undergrad, right, from a rural public California high school, right? I think without, you know, a lot of exposure to computers or the field or any of it, right? I was a math undergrad, in fact, all the way through. And I kind of picked up a little computer science late, right? Um, thought it was really neat, but it was, it was, uh, it wasn't yet obvious to me that where this, how this was going to lead. It was just, right. you know, one step after another, right? You take one class, you kind of like it, you take another one, you think it's a fluke, you know, I, I did pretty well with that. I liked it a lot, but you know, I'm sure it gets a lot harder, right? It's gonna, it's gonna, um, but, uh, you keep kind of making the progress, right? Um, 
I, uh, I ended up um, at Next. Next was just kind of getting started right when I was an undergrad. And um, so at that point, they were still in the education-only market. So, right. so there was a lot of attention at the university level, right? And so I worked with um, uh, an, an actual Next employee who would come to Stanford to teach this class, right, um, on how the Next was programmed, which I thought was super interesting. And it just totally, you know caught my fancy, like the, uh, like the, I mean, the object oriented programming at that point was kind of relatively new. And, and when you saw the kind of the way it enabled certain kinds of problems to get solved, you're like, that is so freaking cool. Okay, right? Julie, so, I want to, I want to talk about that. Why is it so freaking cool when software is written well? Yeah. Cause I mean, like, you know, when you, when you start to write code, right, you realize like, oh, it, there are parts of it that are kind of tedious, right? You know, like, oh, you're running the same kind of code again and again, right? The idea that, that figuring out ways to capture that idiom, right, that commonality and, and unify it and, and debug it and, and put it in a library and reuse it again, right, is just such a huge leverage point from which you can then go on to build and solve more interesting problems. So, yeah, writing a linked list, sure, everybody needs to learn this as part of their kind of etude of computer science. But in the end, what you really want to be doing is solving these problems. And you're like, oh, I want to be looking at this data and, and teasing out these trends and figuring out what to do with this. Or it's like, okay, I don't need to solve these problems anymore about a hash table. Hash table is super awesome and it's wonderful, but somebody needs to build a really awesome sorting machine, a really awesome hash table, a really awesome graphic subsystem, right? Uh, a 3D rendering engine. And um and then we all get to build on top of that, like starting on the 10th floor of our, you know, our 20 story building or the, uh, you know, 99th floor of our skyscraper. Um, and so the idea of figuring out ways our tools and our um, libraries and our systems can, can promote reuse, right? And so we talk about it even in early in the sequence, right? We're always talking about the design. I was about to say, Julie, you have, a, you have an incredible responsibility, not just as a computer science faculty member within Stanford, but you actually teach often the huge introductory classes as well, yeah. like the abstractions yeah. in computer science. And this is really an introduction for a lot of students into the breadth of the complexity yeah. behind, behind you know, problem solving for computer science. What is that like to have the responsibility of having now 400 <laughs> students in an auditorium? And Julie yeah. is one of the first, you know, inventors yeah. and instructors they meet. I mean, I, computer science is so awesome because <laughs> of the fact that even in that first class or the second class, right, you're really in the meat of it, right? There, there isn't this really long prerequisite chain where you have to kind of spend a lot of time sort of, I think, on the background material before you can get going right. and do something interesting. It's like from day one, right, in, in our CS106A courses, right, we're solving little problems, right? It's like, okay, maybe it's Carol the Robot. It's kind of a little bit of a simplified world, but you're thinking logically, right? You're thinking about, you know, repetition and and if-else kind of logic and how you break things down into decompositional units. And it's like every step along the way is an opportunity to learn a little bit more of good engineering practice, right? You know, and so I feel like at the end of, of those first two quarters, right, you have learned a lot that's actually very practical and, and can immediately you can turn around and sort of start writing stuff and building stuff, right, and doing stuff with it. People are and going off really to work to, to do internships at Google and Facebook after yeah. to, after taking these two yeah. quarters. It, it just, it's so accessible, right, to everyone. And that's so extraordinary, right? right? Like, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not a chemist or a biologist or a physicist, but, you know, I feel like those, there's these really long chains before you're able to do something with let's let's say chemistry right that where you're really kind of putting in their practice right um and it, the cs it's like such a neat 
you know, steep ramp from I know nothing to I can actually do some kind of pretty neat things in such a short period of time. That's really an awesome place to be. So, so then what is sort of your, your idea or your vision and, and also Stanford's in terms of how do you get somebody who comes in and says, I want to learn computer science within this incredible institution, Stanford. How can you best prepare me over the next four years to be the greatest, you know, thinker, problem solver, yeah. solver that I can be? Because there's a very clear mindset into this, you know, logical sequence that we take. And I'm, I'm in it right now and I'm loving it. I'm so impressed yeah. by how well thought out it is. Talk to me a little bit about that. You know, we, uh, it's, it's totally a team effort, right? Like, I mean, I think we have a very strong curriculum design committee, right? That, that, you know, has, has is in place for the lifelong haul, right? And, and we're constantly looking at our offerings and, and there is a, a, you know, I mean, one thing that's a little bit different about Stanford relative to other R1 uh, institution is that we do have a, 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 what we call an ed group, the ed affairs group, right? When there are like 10 of us, right? And that we are teaching only faculty, right? And so, um, the so the intro sequence, CS 106 and 109 or, and uh, 107, 108, one like that, are taught by this group of lecturers and, okay. and uh, teaching faculty. And that means that we give 100% of our heart and soul to making sure that that the intro sequence... Right, I didn't even know that. That's amazing. Taught. Yeah. And so, and so, and, and then as you transition sort of out of intro and into the upper division, right, so you start to hit compilers and machine learning and graphics and stuff like that. And so you'll encounter the, the, the traditional research faculty. So someone like Pat, Pat, you know, and most of those are also people who are very interested and care about teaching a lot, but yes. they're... They also have an extremely rich and, and, and amazing career as a researcher, which which necessarily means that, you know, their attention is going to be split a little bit more, right? Um, and they have more attention placed on mentoring grad students, right, and whatnot. So so us being there, right, to make sure that, like, for example, we do a ton of teacher uh, mentoring. We do a bunch of TA training, right? right. We have... Um, we bring our undergraduates in to work with us in the intro sequence, right, which kind of gives us a pipeline of people to step up to be graduate TAs, right? Um, and Julie, how do you improve? How do you improve on this process? Because you teach a, a class of 400 students. You've just taught it for 10 weeks and you're about, you know, now you have a one week break and you're about to teach it again. And as yeah. any good computer scientist, you want to improve and learn for the next yeah. iteration. So how do you go about doing that? <laughs> well, every, uh, everything I work on, you can ask anybody who's, who's, who's gone behind me will tell you that in the directory for the file, where the files like the code or the write-up or the uh, rubric or any of the material software, there's a file there whose name is called For Next Time, right? It's an all capital, wow. right? And it's always named the same thing. But I put it right there, like it's right by the lecture, it's right by the section, it's right by the lab. Um, and it reminds me of as we were doing it, what was happening? You know, what was there something that students got tripped up on it? Was there something wow. the TAs told me about it? Right? Was there something I just felt coming out of the lecture? You know, or if I got a chance to review the lecture itself, I'm like, oh, you know, what? that just wasn't that clear, or I need a different example. And I make those myself, and I leave them right there because the only place I'll remember it. If I put it anywhere else, right, it's like it's, it's not going to be where I am. So at the point when I'm preparing that lecture, I'm going to start with you know the last time I had it. I'll be like, oh, look what I wrote down. Right? This this example fell flat, or this you know, didn't, didn't, uh, you know, needs to be fixed. We need to fix this explanation right. or whatever. So I, 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 they're, they're littered throughout everything I work on. <laughs> That's so amazing. It's, it has to be there because, you know, you're right. It, it is. It, I mean, everything is so in the moment for teaching, right? That right. Right. It, it's a, it's a thousand little to do items, right. Of this week's lecture, this week's assignment, this week's lab, that exam. Right. So, um, that, uh, you need a system to kind of keep each of them, um, and then I'd say bigger things, like if you're thinking really about restructuring an entire class or really doing something like that, right, is, is generally going to be something that we work on 
um, or as a team, right? Like there's a much bigger kind of let's all get together, let's all brainstorm, let's all, you know, think about whether like for example, we recently switched our 106A course, which has been in Java for right. you know 10, right. 10 years, right? To Python, right? And that was a you know a huge effort of a lot of people, right? To um survey what other schools are doing, right? To look at, at right. uh, tools that are out there, look at ways it would change our pedagogy, look at the ways it's going to affect other parts of our curriculum. So how, um, how long have you been training. teaching these teaching these monumental classes within Stanford? Uh, so I've been here since 1992. Wow. So, so what, 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 what changed since then? So you've seen you quite know, a few, you know, you've seen quite a few students go by. Do, do yeah. we, are we different than, than others? Yeah. You know, it's uh, in some ways it feels like nothing's changed because like the core of it is it's still as beautiful and as pristine and kind of heartfelt as it ever was, which is, I mean, I would say one of the things that's, that's really important about Stanford is that our intro class is our intro for everyone, um, that we don't have a major's entry point and a non-major's entry point and an advanced student, you know, sort of thing like that. It's like, oh, there is 106A, which is designed to be called the Big Ten, right? It brings in everybody. We want everyone to give a chance to it and be taught in the way we want, like to build a foundation for all computer scientists. So having, like, some of these are classes like physics for poets or something like that, where it's like, oh, you're really not going on. So we're going to give you a different or a light version. And we really don't want to do that. We don't want you to have to select before you've had a chance to really try it. And so we want to give you the same grounding we give everyone. Um, we really try hard to get people to start in the intro sequence, even if they have the background to sometimes jump ahead. We often think that we can do such a good job with kind of setting the right foundation for you that we want you to give it a try, that don't be in a hurry um, to to jump ahead because there's things right. even in the simple exercises where we can just imbue you with really good habits that we want you to carry forward. Definitely. So, uh, by the way, is, so the, that's is, been is the part same. of this... I want to say, what did we change? I would say we... Um, We've changed the language. We've changed the tools, right? Our enrollments have gone crazy large, right? Right. Um, but in the essence of it, I still think we're doing the same thing we've always wanted to do all along, which is is show you how empowering and awesome it is to be able to control this computer and then give you this really good grounding in the fundamental sort of tools and technique and mindset that makes you be an excellent engineer. That's so cool. Julie, what's missing from what's missing from CS education any you know at Stanford or anywhere in the world? Where where are we at now? And what yeah. what big milestones do you hope to for us to get to in let's say five years? I mean I think we need to keep looking at the the service part of the of the equation that um, I think we serve our majors extraordinarily well, right? I think we have a great curriculum with a lot of flexibility and, and the undergraduate, the master's curriculum, the PhD, all of that is really, really good. I think we need to keep working at ways to give computing power to people who aren't computer scientists in a way that makes sense for them. And so, so as I said, we, we have this one sequence and it's for everyone and that's great. And I do think up to a point, we can definitely keep everybody together. But at, there are places where there's kind of jumping off points where I think we need to, like, for example, there are a lot of people who want to get uh, data science type skills, machine learning right. type skills, but aren't going to make computer science their number one focus. And so maybe they're a biologist or sociologist, right, or historian, right. And so I think figuring out ways that we can be sure to coordinate and support, sort of, you know, giving those skills to people who want, like the way the writing center, for example, might be like everyone needs to learn how to write persuasively and right. and attentively. And so figuring out how we can be computer science support as a service learning for all people, right. Um, I'd say another big area for us is to uh, dig more deeply into the ethical implications of the work we do. That okay. I think we've had a kind of a 
a little bit of a, you know, like, hey, we're, we're technology, we're neutral, we're just teaching you how algorithms work, right? And how, you know, how to evaluate them for performance or for um, robustness or correctness. But um, there's really growing awareness that there there are absolutely sort of opportunities for us to be reflecting on the bias in the data right. sets we use and in the problems we're trying to solve and in the uh, implications of our work in a broader social context, which I think we need to figure out how to make that happen up and down across the curriculum. Like I think we've traditionally sort of had idea if there's a class that, you know, or, or two that's about ethics or social implications. And I think we just need to weave that through our discipline all the way through to be sure we're making responsible and ethical choices at Incredible. every step. Incredible. Julie, take me back now to Next and then Apple. <laughs> now you're you're out of you're out of you know you're out of Stanford. Yeah. You're entering, you know, this tech scene. You get to work with Steve Jobs. I mean, yeah. what, what is it? What is this like? Um, it's so weird that I get like, to speak to somebody, you know, from the roots of it. This is incredible. Yeah, it, it. You know, it's like I think it's like when I look back at it now, it seems more amazing than at the time. I, I didn't know any better, right? It was basically my first job out of school, right? And so, like, I thought it's completely normal that you have like a superstar, right? Like, I for the longest time, like, I had this kind of dingy car, this Datsun B210, that was like, you know, kind of a uh, an old junker of a car. And I used to park a little bit far away from the building because I, I thought my car was kind of ugly and run down, <laughs> and I was, you know, still just paying off my student loans, and, and so, and I. I I parked it kind of away around the corner for the building, kind of a little bit out of shape. But I, it was interesting how there was often a black Porsche that would also be in the same spot I picked. It happened to be the kind of first one around the corner from the building. Um, and it was a black Porsche with no license plates, which at the time I didn't, I didn't know these stories yet about how Steve was kind of apparently like this couldn't be bothered to get a license plate for his car, right? And so it, depending on who got there first, like either I would have the spot or the black Porsche would have the spot. And I didn't realize it was Steve's car until one day, right? I come out and he's parked in the next spot over and he's standing by his car talking to somebody, right? And I'm coming out to my car and he, and he scolds me for like parking in his spot. And um, I'm like, I'm like terrified. I've been there, I don't know, not, not that long, right? Like a few months or something, but like, I'm like uh, I think I'm about to get fired over like I you know but he was kind of kidding he didn't really care it was just it was just funny that like everybody else apparently all knew this don't park in Steve's spot right wow. but, like, I'm like, oh, whatever I'm just trying to hide my ugly car over here but anyway so unbelievable how many people were next when you joined over there uh so we were we were probably close to 200 people at that point right wow. I think we've had maybe four or five hundred at our kind of biggest right when, yep. when we were doing both hardware and software but the kind of um, we did cut our hardware business and scale back to the softwares. We're probably like, so at the time we got acquired, we probably were back down to 200 again. So we were pretty small that whole time, I would say. Wow. Um, what, what did you look, what, what are some of the most important lessons you learned from, from that time that you that then you took with you yeah. as you then transitioned back to education? Yeah. Um, I loved working at Next, but uh, the strongest memory, of course, was just the people, right? The, you know, the people who were hired there and the kind of their passion for what we were doing was just really infectious, right? And 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 the maybe the biggest lesson I took away from Next was I had to go back to grad school because I was working with all, so at that point I had an undergrad degree in math. I, my training in CS was pretty thin, right? I was learning a lot on the job, right? You know, I was working in an engineering capacity, but I was definitely a junior person, right? You know, and I and there were all these people around me who just had, you know, a wealth of knowledge and experience and practice that I was super envious of, right? And I, I can, I can remember, you know, people would casually talk off, toss off terms or tools or, you know, oh right. well, when I was at Sun, we did this kind of stuff, and, and I just wanted 
I was hungry for that same kind of experience, that the, the same kind of underpinning of what they knew that that helped them to make great decisions going forward. And so it was great to work with them and learn from them, but I also knew I needed to kind of go back to the source myself and kind of um, strengthen up my own. Were you? Did you realize that at the time you were working with some of the, the greatest pioneers of yeah in I, this it, domain? Like, I, it seemed normal to me, but that was because I I never had a real job before. I mean, it was in high school. Oh. I worked in a player piano place, right? You know, like, like you know, the idea that I I I thought it was super normal to have this just incredibly high powered, um, really dedicated, really talented group of people incredible solve problems and and batted ideas around. I, I can still remember the way it felt like, well, since we're so small, like you could make decisions about things. And, it, and it, it's like, you keep looking for some, like, do we have to get some approval? I can remember going to Bertrand Serlet, who was the head of the workspace development at the time, and there was this decision we needed to make about how something was going to happen. And um, so I go to him, he's relatively new too, right? So we have this conversation about what their options are. We, we bet some ideas around and he says, okay, I think we should do this. And I'm like, well, okay, but like, that's just you and me. We're like just two foot soldiers here. Like, don't we need to go get somebody else like, to look for your mom? I don't know what you like, something, you, you know, you think we have to have some, it's like, no, no, we're, that's what we do. This, this is what we were hard to do is make these decisions and make this stuff happen. And Unbelievable. you're like, oh, I guess we just get to do that. And, Unbelievable. Um, and that happened again and again, just lots of cool things to do and smart people to work with. And so I had, so from it, I said, I had to go back to grad school. So I'm like, I want to be able to go um, deep on some of this stuff and, and, school is going to be a good place for me to do that. I mean, I think there are other people who learn in different ways. It wasn't the only way maybe to kind of catch up to, to that level of expertise. But for me, it was kind of a, a, I had been a good student and I think school kind of worked for my mindset and my level of, of uh, obedience, maybe or something like that. You know? That is so cool. Julie, as I go on my journey and a lot of my friends going on their journey, you know, into computer science or Stanford in general, what is the one yeah. piece of advice you would give, you know, a young student as we're about to go and, you know, absorb so many classes from so many incredible instructors, what are, what are some things that I can keep in mind as I go through this journey and maintain perspective? I, wow. Uh, I would, there's so many great things about Stanford, right? Um, and so, so many great experiences, right? And I, and the one thing I would say is just be, be mindful of picking and choosing, right? Realizing that that saying yes to something, right, often means having to say no to something else, and 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 kind of thinking about like you know as you, as you look at things, there's going to be lots of things that that sound really awesome and are really awesome, but if they're not right for you, right, they're going to eat away from the right. getting on the things that really matter for you. So like sometimes it's, it's easy to get people get get I think a little bit sidelined into oh, but I somebody else is doing this and that sounds really cool or that's, you know, this seems kind of interesting or I want to take all these classes. I want to have a double major. I want to do all this stuff. And like, it's almost like the, the, by spreading yourself too thin, right. you kind of, you miss some of the discernment of saying, what's, what are the things I really want to be sure I get from Stanford and I want to make sure I don't miss out on and that really are going to kind of fuel me for the future. Um, and then recognize that as I say yes to those things, I want to say yes wholeheartedly and enthusiastically and that's going to give me the strength to also say no to things that would otherwise kind of cut into that. Um, I love it. I see, I see a lot of students right, who just seem like they're just really spread very, very thin. And, um, and I, I feel like that, you know, like it's, it's, they get very overcommitted. Right. And then they're, they're dealing with, I think a lot of stress and a lot of, um, 
you know, I, I think suboptimal sort of results for that. No, thing. I agree. I mean, I think that one of the, you know, one of the things that I came in and was completely blown away was by the, was by the number of opportunities. And, you know, all of us, everywhere you turn, somebody's doing something so cool and coming in, it's, it's like in a playground. You just want to, you know, yeah. go on different rides yeah. and, and get all the different fruits. And, and I think that one of the hard lessons that I had to learn as well as my friends is understanding that, okay, well, if we really want to make, enjoy this time and make it, make it, make it work for us, you yeah. know, we need to we need to also be able to devote ourselves to the projects we commit to. And it's not going to do service to anybody if we just, you know, go and do 22 yeah. units and do five clubs. So I completely I'll, I'll, I take this with me. Uh, wherever you already I go. have that advice. It turns out I have to give you a different piece of advice next time. Right. Because that, that is a great thing to have already. I'm going to come back for many more advices along the way. But, Julie, I have to get <laughs> three words that you would use to describe yourself. OK, I'm going to give you curious. All right. I think that I think that's driven a lot of what got me everywhere I wanted to be was just wanting to know, wanting to kind of see it through. And then it comes with a heavy dose of stubborn because I think okay. that's, that's, you know, stubbornness and curiosity. I think, you know, drive all the debugging in the world. Right. It turns out right is I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to know why and I'm going to get there. And then I think the what makes me a teacher, I think, is enthusiasm. Right. Like, I love it. Uh, the when I first that we like can say, you know, I think almost definitively why I'm a teacher is anytime I learn something, right. The first thing I'm thinking about is who am I going to tell that to? Wow. You know, like I read something in a paper or see it online or go to a talk. And then I'm like, who else wants to hear this really cool thing that I learned? So that I think is that's, so cool. You see yourself as this conduit for like information to come in and flow out. Then teaching maybe the career you want to look at. I love it. Okay. Julie, thank right. you very, very much. This was inspiring. This was you know, I learned so much and uh, and I can't wait to share this with the world. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Thank you, Michael. And thank it's you for an amazing great. quarter of, of 107 E. And oh, I can't wait yeah. to do more classes with you. It was really, it was, it was really inspiring. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I like, I wish I, that's a whole topic we could go off for a long time about is like how phenomenal it is to work at the, with the people at Stanford. Right. So Pat Anderhan, our co-instructor, right. Who was a Turing Award winner. Like, I just never thought I would spend my career in, in, in the company of such luminaries, you know, nonstop, right? So it's a, it's, it's been really for a, great a student, ride. it's a very humbling experience all of a sudden to be exposed to that. Julie, thank yeah. you very, very much. Have a great rest yeah. of the day and stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. Take you care. Too. Bye-bye.